Living in the light, that's what it's all about. The light of Jesus Christ beaming from the cross of Calvary 2,000 years later and it's still shining upon us. Are you shining? Your faces look shining and radiant this morning. Happy Sabbath. The Middle East Union actually has 360 million people and just about 2,000 members. That covers all of North Africa, Iran, Iraq, Lebanon, Turkey, and up into, to, uh, I guess, Afghanistan. 360 million people, 2,000 Seventh-day Adventists. And so we need more missionaries. So this sermon today is somewhat of a recruitment call because there is still a great need. And though we will long that Jesus coming is soon, in some respects, it still is a long ways off because there are people who need to hear the gospel. And one thing, you know, I've learned after working in Turkey is that there are saved people that Jesus has sent His Holy Spirit and He is ripening them. Their hearts are ripe and they have, have the fruits of the Spirit of gentleness and kindness and joy. But you know, they don't have surety of their salvation and they live in a, in a very strange fear. I remember one, uh, time while I was walking with a friend of mine in the morning and I told him in Turkish, I said, friend, I said, Jesus has, God has told me that I will be in heaven. And he stopped and he just looked at me. He says, you know you'll be in heaven? I said, yes, it's a guarantee. That's the guarantee that I have. He just couldn't believe it. Two years later, him and I were walking again in a a totally different place. He moved two hours away in a village. We're walking along. He saw one of his friends gardening and he stopped and he introduced me and he said to this woman, uh, she was standing there in her spinach patch. He said, this man knows that he's going to heaven. Really struck me that he had held on to those words for two years. Why? Because that's what the gospel gives us is, is something stable, something to hang on to, something to grasp. It's a little different coming back to Nebraska. It's a little bit of a time warp for me. I, I grew up here and now gone and come back and see things the same and yet different changes. I was in Home Depot and we were shopping for a, a, uh, oven. We were setting up house here and, and, uh, I wish, I said to my wife, the, the man selling the, the ovens was right there and I said to my wife, these ovens are a little different than they are in Turkey. And the man says, you mean the turkeys in the oven? I said, no, the ovens in Turkey. <laughs> well, my new role here in Lincoln, I am uh, taking on a role with Adventist Frontier Missions to send out tent makers. How many of you know what a tent maker is? Let me see your hands. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of you do. You know, Paul, he was a tent maker. The Apostle Paul, he repaired tents, he made tents and sold them. And as he was doing this work, people would come and request from him certain size tent and he would begin to talk to them. And as he was stitching and doing his work, he was sharing the gospel. And by by uh, trade, he was a tent maker. But by uh, lifestyle, by his heart, 
he was a, an evangelist. And so we're finding that in many places of the world, difficult places, China, northern India, all through the Middle East, the only way that the gospel can really penetrate there is to send in professional people whose hearts are on fire with the Advent message. They have Jesus living in them, and they go as a doctor or an engineer or a teacher, a professional with a trade, something that benefits the society. And so their visas are no problem. They get a job as a university professor or, or uh, with some large uh, international corporation, and then they begin to share their faith. And by this method, uh, the church is sprouting up in places that it, it sat dormant for years. My wife and I just last month went to Qatar, where there are about uh, 400 Indonesian Filipino workers. What a closed world that is. Very different society. And... Uh, and uh, by God's grace, we have 400 Adventists living there. They have to be very careful and circumspect about what they share about their faith and how they share it. But they are sought after because of their, their skills. And that is how the Adventist church has gotten started in Qatar. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about putting Jesus-filled people in proximity to empty people in a little bit later in this talk. For right now, let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 6 and verse 45. Luke chapter 6 and verse 45. Jesus here is giving uh, uh, several different stories and parables. <clears throat> and uh, let's begin in verse 43. He says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Put that in Nebraska language, you don't get corn from the wheat sheaves. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Today's sermon is the mouth-heart connection. It says, out of the overflow of the heart, so does the mouth speak. In other words, if your heart is filled with good things, your mouth will speak good things. If your heart is filled with bad things, your mouth will speak bad things. Now, we know that there is a real heart and a real mouth, and this is speaking about a spiritual heart and probably a spiritual as well as a real mouth. The heart is sort of a, a symbol of our thoughts and our emotions. And so if the heart is sick, if it's, if it's an angry heart, the mouth will speak angry words. If the heart is bitter heart, it will speak bitter words. Sweet Water or salty water, bitter or beautiful, poison or productive, putrid or pleasant, worldly or out of this world. Whatever's in your heart, your mouth is going to give out that substance. Now, the heart and the mouth are only 14 inches apart. And yet, you know, they're intricately connected. And uh, physically, they're connected. Doctors are finding out that if a person has gum disease, they're more likely to have heart disease. 
Very interesting. Why? Because the mouth is the entrance to the whole body. And so if your mouth is diseased, it brings disease down into your body. And scientists are telling us this. Now, your mama always said, brush your teeth. Now, you know, it was to prevent a heart attack. The mouth is a pathway of the body, according to the Academy of uh, General Dentistry. Spiritually, they are related because you see, the mouth is somewhat of a uh, a touchstone of reality. Uh, in other words, we create things, we create ideas with our mouth. Things don't become until we speak them. For example, right now you're all thinking about different things. But if I say elephant, immediately your mind all. Focus on elephant. I created that thought in your mind. We have the power to create a reality with our mouths. And so if our heart is sick and we're, our mouth lets out that sickness of criticism or dark words or, or just even, even, uh, uh, talk of unimportant things, we create somebody else's reality. I created in your mind an elephant. So it wasn't there before. And as you go about your day and you, you stop over at Da Vinci's and you're down on O Street at the, the mall, it used to be Gateway Mall and was something else and now it's Gateway again, that, that mall, and you talk to somebody there, you're creating through your words a reality for them. That's the power of the mouth. That's why Jesus called the Word of God. And by Him and through Him, all things came into existence. We are created in the image of God and have the power to create. Now the Bible, Jesus says, for out of the overflow of His heart, His mouth speaks. Now I don't know what you think about when you think about overflow. Sometimes we can get a negative image of overflow. We think about a dam bursting or a, 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 a flood. Or we think of some kind of a, 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 a Missouri River overflowing. Maybe a, a toilet overflowing. It's a very negative image. <laughs> it's a crisis. But you know, most of the times in the Bible, when the Bible speaks about overflow, it's speaking something positive. Turn to a few texts. Go to Psalm chapter 65. Psalm 65 and verses 11 and 12. It says, You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. The overflow is about what? Abundance. Abundance. And so there is so much grain they don't even fit in the barns. They're just flowing over. I'll never forget when I was a pastor in Colorado, a family invited me over for dinner on a Friday night and uh, they had the table set with their best uh, uh, the best uh, china and, and uh, silverware 
and uh, glasses set empty on the table and the man's the white tablecloth. The man says, would you like some grape juice? I said, yes. And he began to pour and the glass filled up and filled up. And I could see when it got to about a half an inch uh, from the brim. And I said, OK, thank you. And he just kept filling. Now it's a quarter inch and it just filled and it flowed over on that white tablecloth. And he said, this is Sabbath. The day of abundance. And that was their custom at their house, is to fill up all of the glasses until they overflowed. Just as a reminder that God's grace is abundant. Man, it was an imagery I never forget. Now we wash the tablecloth. You know, Psalm 23 speaks about abundance. You know, you know Psalm 23, you anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows it overflows and so from the overflow of the what heart the mouth speaks turn to luke chapter 6 back there where we started luke chapter 6 and verse 38 jesus speaks about an overflow He says, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for the measure you use. It will be measured to you. In other words, if we give out an abundance, it it comes back to us. And Jesus describes this in such detail. You know, when you can't quite fit everything into a jug or a jar and you shake it like this and it settles down. He says a good measure shaken down pressed together and overflowing will be given to you. That's the image. Jesus wants us overflowing with His Holy Spirit. Wants us overflowing with joy. Wants us overflowing with the confidence of of the Word that He has said that we will be in heaven in paradise with Him. Can you imagine the joy that thief on the cross, a word spoken suddenly creates something in the thief's mind that wasn't there before. You will be with me in paradise. If Jesus had not spoken those words, the thief could only imagine, but it wouldn't have been there. By the power of the mouth, we have, we're able to create something. Now, each day you interact with people. Here's the, the main focus of this sermon you interact with people what reality are you creating for them through your words you can't just create words that that give gospel hope out of an empty heart so if you're finding that your words aren't producing the powerful effect of hope on the people around you where do you got to start in the heart Get that heart cleaned out. The Bible says, I will give you a new heart, a clean heart. And from that reservoir, then you're able to speak power to others. God, I mean, here we're presented with some serious questions, personal reflection questions. What is my overflow? When people are around me, do they get wet? With the living water of Christ? 
That's a, that's a question that only you can answer. What is my overflow? Is it sweet water? Is it salty water? Is it bitter or beautiful? Is it poison or productive? Is it putrid or pleasant? What do they get from me? The second question that we got to ask is, what is the impact of my overflow? We all want a good impact, don't we? And God's going to empower you to have the impact that He desires if you'll open your heart and say, God, I mean, Paul said every day, I die daily. God, I give you my heart. Live in it that my mouth can speak good things for your glory. God is all about overflow. He gives in abundance. And we are to be the reflection of God. In other words, the same way that He is abundant towards us, we're to be abundant towards other people. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 45 where we started, it says, it says the treasure of the heart, or the NIV says the good that is stored up in it. You think about your heart as a treasure chest. And where I lived in Turkey... People actually found treasure. In Nebraska, you can dig a long time. My dad is in landscape business, and he's been digging up yards in Lincoln for over 40 years. He never found any gold yet. But I know that's why he started the business, because he wanted to dig up some gold. But, Dad, you're in the wrong you're wrong territory. You got to go where the Romans lived and the Byzantines and the Greeks. I mean, in the Lydian Empire, in Turkey, we're right in the heart of where there is gold buried and there is gold all different places. In fact, they still have a tradition of burying gold. My best friend, whose name is Fevzi, he says, my dad every year would bury his extra gold out under his eggplant field. And he says, if you bring back a... Uh, metal detector from America, he said, we'll find that gold. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they were building a shopping mall in my city and uh, a big uh, backhoe was digging up the foundations for that shopping mall and they un for, uh, broke open a cache of gold, ancient gold. These are 2,000-year-old coins. Somebody at some war sometime hidden, hidden there. People find all kinds of stuff. Ground begins to collapse and they find an old church and buried in the basement of that church are golden coins. Treasure. Well, Jesus says that out of the treasure that is in us, how do we get treasure in us? Well, it, it starts in your daily devotions. It's a thing that you, you always uh, are told sermon after sermon. We take time in the Word of God. We take time with God's Word and He builds that treasure and the momentum inside of us, the enthusiasm for the work of the Gospel, that Jesus' love was so great that before the creation of the world, He gave His life for my sins. And we begin to understand what this justification is all about. We recognize the effective power of Jesus' blood and the enthusiasm for your own salvation begins to well up and grow. I, I thought about bringing a, a glass of water here and trying to make that thing overflow, not tipping it, just making it overflow by levitating that water up and out of the glass. But I decided I, 
I wasn't able to do that. And so uh, the only way to make something overflow is you got to put more into it, right? You can't just raise up the small amount of water that's in there and then make it overflow and create this void in the bottom. No, the only way is put more into it. If we're going to overflow with Christ, if the, the gospel message is to ooze out of us, we got to put more gospel in us. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Paul is a gospel enthusiast and he, he packs the gospel in sentences in very tight packages in the book of Romans. We see in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Praise God. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. In other words, the heart begins the process. It's thinking and thinking and thinking on, on this wonderful picture. But in, in order for it to become a reality, it must come out of your mouth. Until it comes out of your mouth, it's not a reality. It's just a concept. And so as you share your faith with others, the thoughts of the heart become something substantial that God can take hold of and turn a miracle in your life and in the life of some other person. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the Scriptures say, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We got 360 million people in the Middle East who need to hear good news. Whose feet will bring them good news? I owe a big thanks to this congregation for praying for my wife and I over the last 10 years. Who, who in this congregation said a prayer for us over the last 10 years? Let me see your hands. Thank you very much. Those of you who have not prayed for us, you can begin now. Maybe you thought you'd never meet me again. Ah, he's going to Turkey. <laughs> if I don't pray for him, he'll never know it. Now here I am. <laughs> the Lord's brought me back safely. So now you can redeem the time. Please do pray for us now. But you know, there are still a great need in Turkey, in Algeria, in Libya, for people who will be gospel tellers. Ordinary people, people who go there as salesmen, people that will go there as, as doctors, people who go as English teachers. The ripple effect of my mother and father going off to China 20 years ago is still, still felt. People are, are writing them letters who have now embraced Jesus Christ. One year for the Lord in their middle life. Would you go as a tent maker for the Lord? Now, 
I'm going to ask for two volunteers. I'm not going to send these volunteers off as tent makers. I just need some volunteers for a little game show that I'm going to do right now. I need two volunteers. This is a game show uh, called Mental Telepathy. Who will come forward now, right now, come up here? Two volunteers. Michael Hackis, would you come forward, please? Maybe just to keep this game fair, I should put Shelly. Would Shelly, would you come up and, and be next to your husband? Come on up. <laughs> now, these two have been trying to figure out how one another think for years. Is that true? <laughs> About 17. But, uh, you know, they're pretty good at it. I can, I can tell. Do you sometimes accurately predict her thoughts? Sometimes. Yeah? Good. Okay. Uh, Michael, I am going to have you just remain standing here. And Shelly, I'm going to have you turn just sideways and look at your husband. Now, your goal is to not tell him what you see, but rather think very, very strongly about the image that's going to come up on the screen here. Okay? Now, nobody from the audience, please do not shout out what's on the screen. Okay? This is Shelley's responsibility. Her mind is so sharp, and he is so in tune with his wife's emotions. There's just an electrical current coming right here. And, uh, okay... We can now, if you'll just put that image up on the screen. You can put it on that screen, too, if you want. Oh, hey, yeah, don't put it on that screen. Maybe we should blindfold Michael. Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, you see this? You see that? Okay, now I want you to think very hard about that thing. And now just send that idea in a packet over to Michael. Got it. You got it? Yes. Okay, what is what is it she's thinking? Is it a platypus? <laughs> uh, try that again, Shelly. Okay, you got it? I got it. She's thinking my husband has absolutely no idea what's on the screen. <laughs> That's what she's thinking. That that was what she was thinking. All right. Well, uh Mike, you can turn around and what she was thinking about was a pickle jar. Got it. Thank you very much for being our contestant. On oh, Okay, I'll give you one more chance. I'll give you one more chance. Okay, this probably was too, too hard. I will give you something a little easier. You know, she didn't really have any body language. A lot of people say that we don't need our words. We just need our lifestyle and we need body language. And that will communicate love to, to the other person. So what I'm going to put up is another image right now. And she's going to be able to I'm use her this. <laughs> pickles, eating those pickles, huh? Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Uh, okay, Shelly, you can look right now at this slide. And uh, you just read what that says there. and uh, And then you can just... Use all that you need to convey that thought over to, to Michael here. You got it? So it was like charades. Well, you can do whatever you need to just to get that thought in his mind. <laughs> you got it? Yes. Okay. Wise King David. <laughs> 
Very good, Shelley. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we were talking about Joseph and his integrity to stand up under pressure in a uh, pagan society. Thank you very much, Michael. You've been a great contestant here. Shelley, let's give them a big hand. Uh, you know, this is one simple principle, and the principle I'm going to put up here is this. No words, nothing heard. That's what Paul says. Without the preaching of the gospel, people aren't going to hear anything. It means you can go around Lincoln all day long thinking about deep things, about Revelation and and Daniel and Jesus' great insights. People are thinking about pickles. (laughs) When, When you don't say anything... They're not going to get your message. That's it. Faith comes by what? Hearing. They got to hear it. It's got to come out of your mouth. I want to tell you a story about somebody who told something. You know, the Seventh-day Adventist church. How how many here are Seventh-day Adventists? Let me see your hands. Okay, quite a number here. Are we have any guests today? Are there any guests? Welcome. I'm so thankful that you're here in this church. It's a fantastic message that you've stepped into. And I pray you continue to dig it out for all that it's worth. The Seventh-day Adventist Church, I should say, in Nebraska, began in 1865. You know when Nebraska was formed as a state? 1867. Two years before Nebraska was formed as a state... A man named Solomon Meyer came to a place about two hours north of here called Decatur, Nebraska. He started a store, and there it was a general store. I mean, this was a time when people were still in in uh, covered wagons, and and uh, it was a, it was an early era. He started this general store and sold all kinds of things, and began to speak of his faith. He started a small group with his neighbor. And there they would meet on Sabbath. He would close his store on Saturdays. And that got the curiosity of all the other pioneers around them, around him, as to what this was all about. I'm going to read something here from Everett Dix, A Century of Adventism in Nebraska. He says, at that time, there were a few scattered uh, believers here and there who had received the review and herald and talked to their lonely neighbors about their faith. But in 1865, Solomon, point here at our brother Solomon, Myers, moved to Decatur, Nebraska, started a store and closed it on the busiest of the week. And then he began to hold meetings in the schoolhouse to, to answer the questions to his, to their, to, of his belief. Without the assistance of any minister, he gathered 24 converts from the vicinity. Praise God for Brother Myers. Now, do you think that happened because he, as they were buying their, their hardtack and their flour and bags of, of salt, that he just thought about the Sabbath? So thought about it very strongly, and those thoughts, and 24 people, ah, I feel some vibes. No, they saw love in his eyes, and they heard something from his mouth. They heard a message. 
And the Bible tells about three angels. And those three angels came with a distinct message. And each one of them is introduced with these words. And with a loud voice, he said, he said, he said, what are you speaking from your heart to your mouth? Let it overflow, congregation. And the gospel began here in Nebraska. The first conference camp meeting held in Nebraska convened on a beautiful island in the Platte River, not far from Fremont, in October 1877. So now there's about 12 years have convened here by Brother Myers and his neighbor. And it says about 350 Sabbath keepers from the area gathered for that camp meeting in 12 years. Hallelujah. Man, that's exciting. You see, at the time, Nebraska was an unreached territory. It was the frontiers. That's why, why it's interesting to me. I've been working on the frontiers. I, I didn't get 350 people to come to, to a camp meeting in Turkey. But, but Brother Myers, man, he was a, a grand success. We've been working in Nebraska a long time, brothers and sisters, and I don't believe that the Seventh-day Adventist message, first of all, I don't believe that it's owned by the Seventh-day Adventists. It's owned by the Bible. And, and second of all, I don't believe that we've met our climax here. Lincoln's got four churches, five churches. I don't know, maybe six churches. How many churches do we have? How many do we need? How many does Omaha, a city twice this size, have? How many do we need? How many people would God wish? Those are the questions we must ask. And the only way that a movement of substantive size in Nebraska is going to happen again, by the mouth and the overflow, the overflow of the heart. May God bless your mouth to God's glory. And may He bless you as you pack your heart and as he shakes your heart and as he presses down your heart and it begins to overflow to the blessing of many. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org